welcome to another episode of The Bold Platform. My name is Adrian, and I'm the creator and host of the podcast. For those that are listening for the first time, The Bold Platform was um, started in February of 2019 as a way to share the stories of amazing Aussie women and girls who are doing really beautiful things in their community that somehow have a community or a social impact um, component. So if this is your first episode, thank you so much for listening. Um, Today, I am joined by Felicity from Primer. So welcome, Felicity, to The Bold Platform. Hi, thank you for having me. Let's get straight into it. And I would love for you to share what Primer is all about. So Primer is a new digital um, destination for women. Um, It's for women. We talk about it being for women of style and purpose. So um, it's got twofold aim. So the first thing is that we provide really engaging fashion and beauty um, content for women. Mm-hmm. Um, age 25 to 45 usually although you're totally allowed to listen if you're not in that age group um, <laughs> and we also um, we, and we also provide um, smart intelligent journalism so really good quality um, features from some of Australia's best writers and the other aspect to Primer is that we're a social enterprise so we've kind of got this um, kind of social purpose built into the DNA of the company so 50% of our profits go to women's non-profits so it kind of combines this um, kind of socially uh, socially aware and kind of progressive way of doing business with just providing really amazing content. And so you have a business partner, Anna. I have, is, Anna. So yes. how did you two meet and, and sort of how did the idea for Primer um, come about? So we met on Marie Claire several years ago. So we both worked there. I worked there on and off for about seven years and probably Anna did the same. Um, and I started as a features writer and then kind of climbed my way up to deputy editor. And Anna came through a similar route. Um, and she was eventually the executive editor um, in, charge, in charge of digital across Marie Claire and Instar. So we both come from a similar background and we knew that we worked really well together. We've worked together for a long time. Um, we knew that we were both kind of quite hard workers, um, slightly obsessive news, <laughs> news <laughs> obsessors, and a slightly driven personality. Um, so we knew we fitted quite well together. Um, and then I went overseas for about six years and had some of my children. Um, Anna went overseas as well. She had kids. And we just decided that something we've been talking about for a while was doing our own project, but it was very much, you know, those things that you talk about over a glass of wine and you start to kind of thrash out a few ideas. And we decided that we wanted to do it now. So we started eight months ago. Um, And it was because we felt that there was a gap in the market really um, opening up for really good quality digital content for women Mm. that wasn't kind of, um, you know, Kim Kardashian is doing, X, Y, and Z things. I can't even think of an example, but I'm sure your mind can fill in the gaps. Um, <laughs> and, and there was a lot of celebrity content out out there, but not a lot that you could easily find that was really um, intelligently written and kind of speaking to women in our age group. You could find it, but it was very much kind of dropping onto your Facebook feed or um, someone was talking about it on Twitter or it was very kind of piecemeal. Mm-hmm. Um, and also we felt that there wasn't a place where we could get um, fashion and beauty content that was aimed at aimed at us without kind of trawling through lots of different places. So we wanted to bring together um, really kind of well done, nicely shot, well-written content for women 
and deliver it to them in uh, a newsletter once a week or online and on socials. Um, and also we wanted to build this idea of giving back into the business. So at Marie Claire, we've done, and we love Marie Claire, but we've done some really kind of campaigning journalism. And it's one of the things that Marie Claire is really quite famous for in Australia. But sometimes there's a sense that you would do a story and then move on from it. And we wanted to be able to do our jobs with that sense of forming a connection with um, an organization and continuing to give back through what we were doing. So that was where we brought in this kind of idea that we would donate 50% of our profits to women's nonprofits. Just that sense that we could create something that was continually giving back and was also an easy way for women to feel like they were giving back. You know, you can just read the site and even by reading it, you're helping other women. So mm. that was the kind of genesis of the idea. And so when you would sit down and you'd have these uh, chats over wines, was Primer um, the first idea or were there other ideas that came before this that never um, sort of stuck or was Primer the, the first one and the one that you ran with? Primer was the first one, actually. Mm. It was um, because it combined all the things that we felt we wanted to do and that were kind of missing in the market. Mm. Um, so obviously it went through different kind of iterations and originally we were thinking, could we do it as 100% charity and set it up as a pure nonprofit? Um, but we like the idea of social enterprise because it's 50-50, you get to keep some control over the spending of the company. So you can be quite commercial, but you can still give back in a meaningful way. And it's how other um, companies operate like uh, who gives a crap? Yes. So they have the same model um, or thank you as a social enterprise. Mm. So they, and they, they're amazingly successful companies. So they kind of forged the path that now others like us are starting to follow. So it feels like it's quite an exciting space. Absolutely. What do you personally find the biggest differences working in a not-for-profit versus your um, past work, say in Marie Claire and um, other places that you might have worked that are that are a total for-profit business? Um, I suppose they're very different beasts. There's lots of ways that they're different. Um, probably it's reflected in a lot of the journalism that we do. So we, mm -hmm. because we're working with the women and women's and girls emergency center in Sydney, so they help women who are facing homelessness and often it's as a, as a result of family violence um so and they're a real kind of frontline organization they're amazing to be able to help and to be able to work with so we do quite a lot of journalism so quite a lot of stories that are looking at issues in that space um and we have a kind of ongoing relationship with them so we'll help with um social media um we'll bring some of our skills um in storytelling to them to help them or we might have a beauty like we had a beauty drive quite recently where we drove around Sydney and collected um unused beauty products from readers and from companies who wanted to be involved like Clarins and um, and various other people so and then we could give those to the to Wayjack and then they could give them to women who are arriving with with nothing as they often do mm. so um so there was that kind of element of I don't know just being involved in in something meaningfully on an ongoing basis, but also means you can, if with any small company, it means you can be really agile. So yes. if a client, and you would know this yourself, if a client wants something, um, it doesn't have to go through seven stages to get to the creative and then seven stages back up for approval. And there's just, that's how bigger companies work. And when you've got a smaller company like ours, you can really respond quite quickly and be quite agile, um, mm. which is something that we both really enjoy doing. 
How do you and Ian pick the charities that you support? Is there multiple charities or you just mentioned they're the Women and Girls um, Centre? Emergency Centre, yeah. yeah. So um, we chose to, we've chosen two charities. Um, we chose the Women and Girls Emergency, Women's and Girls Emergency Centre in Sydney because of its very kind of hands-on approach mm. and also because family violence is just something that we feel quite strongly about. Yes. So it really felt like a... Um, like a, a cause or an issue that really spoke to us and that mm. we could hopefully do some work some really good work about communicating on um quite truthfully and authentically um but the other charity is malaria foundation and they're a global they run out of the uk but they're a kind of global charity and we chose them because of this idea of effective altruism which is the idea that you should give money to something that's going to help the most the greatest number of people so Mm. the malaria foundation provides mosquito nets and just by giving a woman and her children a mosquito net um cuts their risk of getting malaria by an enormous amount and the mosquito mosquito nets cost two dollars each so for a a donation even of like two hundred um dollars you're going to give mosquito nets to 200 women and potentially save um, I don't know how many, my maths isn't that good, 800 yeah, lives. That's so incredible. It's a really, yeah, and so it's a really interesting um, concept. So it's, it, for us, those two charities, and it's really difficult to choose organisations, oh, yeah. isn't mm, it? Because there's so yeah. many amazing ones. Um, yeah. But those were the ones that really spoke to our values that we decided to go with. And what kind of impact can the money that you donate, you mentioned the mosquito nets, but in terms of um, your other charities, what are the kinds of um items they can purchase or services that they can offer like what is the impact of that money you're able to provide well I think Waycheck is an organization that really helps women who find themselves in a really kind of extreme and precarious situation so there might be someone who's escaping a domestic violence situation family violence Mm -hmm. situation and she'll um, turn up at the office at 10 p.m on a Tuesday night and she's got a couple of children in tow and she has nothing um, and so Wayjet will uh, find crisis accommodation, um, find clothing, find all of those kind of just absolutely immediate needs and requirements that a woman needs. But also we'll set them up with, um, you know, perhaps they might not have access to Centrelink payments. Sometimes if there's um, coercive control, they won't have access to money. Um, they might not have bank cards. I mean, these women are in quite uh, extremely difficult situations. Yes. And so money that anyone can donate will go to um this kind of quite frontline absolutely essential stuff that a woman needs to get a life back on track and and they're a really great organization they work generally with women um for well over a year to help them back on their feet to get them accommodation to um set them up with all of the kind of agency support that they need and, and counselling and all of those things, like a really kind of holistic approach to getting someone back on a feed. That it's really is, important work. It really is. And it's a good point mm. that you made around the length of time that they spend with those women and families as a local charity in Newcastle that I've done some work for. And and the whole reason that it started was because there was this gap between when women are leaving the refuge or the crisis accommodation. And then when they're trying to kind of reestablish themselves back in the community, that they didn't have that ongoing 
support yeah. because the refuges are there for one part and a very important part. But then it was like, well, then what happens? And they were mm. able to provide, you know, um, support in setting up their home and and weekly drop-ins and different yeah. courses and sessions where the women would come to be able to reestablish because it's like that's getting them out of that emergency um, in that sort of crisis point is just one point, right? And then it's the the reestablishment and that that aftercare goes on and on. Absolutely. And also, I think when people have been in a situation like that, it's dealing with them, helping them to deal with the psychological issues Mm. that arise is an equally important task. So if you've been in, um, and I haven't personally uh, been in this, but from talking to people, if you've been in a um, family violence situation with someone who is emotionally abusive and often they'll do, um, they'll follow the same patterns of behavior. So they'll isolate their Mm victims and so they won't have a a social circle to rely on and their confidence will be really really low and their self-esteem will be really low and I know even from and this is not comparable at all but even from um, being on maternity leave with my children and then going back to work your confidence and your abilities to do things suffers and Mm -hmm. so and that's just a very kind of uh, my experience would compare would not compare at all with women who've been these extremely stressful and dangerous situations. So I think the ongoing support is really important to kind of rebuild people's self-esteem and um, enable them to feel that they've got people who are looking out for them and and have got their back. Definitely. We've talked a bit about um, the model and the charities that you support. In terms of how you and um, Anne sort of on a day-to-day basis run the business, how what's a sort of normal week look like for you two and how do you decide, you know, who who does what in the business yeah. as a partnership? It's um, So <laughs> when you ask me what a normal week looks like, they're all quite different. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's fairly busy. It's really busy. Um, we, we basically try to do as much of all the elements of the business as we can mm-hmm. but there are some things that we have you know skills in one area and then not in another so Anna's way better than I am at um, social media and digital stuff um, and uh, so she would handle most of that uh, it's fallen to me to do the finances which um, I've had to upskill pretty quickly I have mm-hmm. to say <laughs> I'm like I should know. Kind of important part. Important part. I know. And it's funny because I'm from a family of accountants, which isn't as boring as it sounds, but my dad is an accountant and two of my brothers are accountants. And I've, my mum is trained as an accountant. Like there's just accountants everywhere. And so you would think that I'd absorbed some of this kind of accounting ability Mm. and yet not. Not so so much. I've had to really, I like really upskill pretty fast there. But um, but generally speaking, during the week we will uh, talk at the start of every day. Um, because we'll you're in different locations, aren't we're you? In different Sorry, locations. yeah. So Anna's yes, I should have explained that Anna's in Sydney and I'm in Melbourne. So we have kind of a long distance working relationship. Mm. So we chat on the phone in the morning. We chat during the day. We email each other constantly. Um, it's basically like um, being married. But I probably talk to Anna more than my husband. <laughs> so we, we do, um, we do, yeah, meetings throughout the day. We'll decide at the start of the week um, any kind of news issues that we want to follow. We plan a few weeks in advance because obviously we'll need to commission 
writers and also work out our um, you know fashion and beauty shoots and who we'd like to shoot them and what the kind of ideas are going to be and the look and all of those things. There's a lot of kind of editorial considerations going mm. on. And then we also have the um, advertising side of things. So we do branded content, um, which is basically kind of sponsored copy, sponsors editorial for companies. Um, so then obviously there's that whole kind of uh, income generation, revenue generation going on. So and then marketing and all of the things, as you, as you know, that you need to do when you've got a small business. So there's no one week that looks identical to the next, but there are certainly kind of key issues and kind of ongoing things that we have to address. And are there parts of the business where if, you know, tomorrow you got a grant or funding of some sort that there would be the things that you would outsource straight away or there are parts of the business that you would always like to keep internally? I reckon, hmm, good question. What would I outsource? Maybe the I finance. <laughs> maybe the finance. Everyone would be a bit happier with that, yeah. Um, probably the finance and we would probably, well, we'd have to look commercially at the business, so we'd have to look at where we could get the kind of greatest value, I suspect, mm. in the advertising that would be and sales that would be the next step for us. Um, but there are a few editorial projects that we also like to get up and running as well so yeah if someone would like to donate a pot of cash we could certainly spend it <laughs> sure we could all find a way to spend it <laughs> no yeah have there been times for either you personally or you you and and together where Anna, yeah. Anna sorry where yeah. um you have thought you know what it's kind of gotten to a point where this might be the time that we wrap it up or there's been some hurdles that have just seemed like we're unsure how we're going to get past this um we've only been going for eight months so we're not at the point of wrapping it up I think that it's been going really quite well um and we've secured some really great advertising and our community is growing so I think it's it wasn't so much it hasn't been so much wrap it up but it's been more the workload is mm. is enormous um and I think we expected that it was going to be big but and everyone had said you know when you set up your own business it totally takes over your life and it totally does they were right but mm. I think it's when like you know when you have a baby and you say I remember people saying to me oh you know it's it, it's quite hard and you know if you've got support and everything and and I was like yeah yeah it'd be fine it'd be totally fine and I remember before my husband went on paternity leave with our first child. We were living in England in a little village and we were lucky. We were living in like a little village and it was a lovely little cottage and it had an open fire. And about three weeks before my daughter was due, Andrew kind of ordered some new books and some cases of red wine. And I was like, what are you doing? He's like, well, when the baby comes, we can just sit by the fire, drink red wine, read books and the baby will sleep you know, peacefully in its basket. <laughs> I was like, okay. And of course, none of that happened. It was absolute <laughs> chaos. <laughs> so I think it's the same with a business. You know, there's a, there's a, everyone's telling you that it's going to be hard, but you have to have that belief that it's all going to be okay because otherwise you wouldn't do it. Um, but it is, you know, it can be harder than you expect. On the website, you've obviously got the fashion and beauty section, but then also the stories section, which ranges from everything to Father's Day specials, to transgender issues, to new um, alcohol products that have come out and and, um, William Tyrrell and everything in between. How do you Mm -hmm. decide the sorts of stories that um, sort of 
something that you would like to feature and what ends up sort of on the cutting room floor? So we try to do, it's a really interesting question. We try to do stories that we think um, are things that women are going to be obviously interested in mm. things perhaps an angle we always look for an angle that hasn't been covered before mm-hmm. um we try and find stories that um that haven't been told or, or we can tell in our own particular way mm. um and we try and look for something that's we always have a story in there that kind of speaks to um women's experiences right now so in our shorthand we'll call them the zeitgeist stories so something mm. that um we just think oh you know someone's mentioned this to me or we've read something in a newspaper or it just seems to be in the air like the idea is that we would come up with a story that when you read it you go you have a moment of recognition and you either see yourself in it or you see something you read something that you've kind of been thinking but no one's really articulated so that's what we try to do with our pieces what are some of the um, things that you use within the business that really are your I can't live without, whether it be apps or rituals or, um, you know, various things that you might use in the business that have really been game changers for you or things that you couldn't couldn't live without? Mm, it's tricky. Um, probably nuts and bolts level we do Mm. everything on and it's not particularly sophisticated but we use um we do everything on g suite Mm -hmm. and so we have shared documents for everything Mm um and we're quite organized and so we would have everything kind of in proper folders and so it's really easy to access we try and minimize um any kind of extraneous details or documents that would confuse things it needs Mm -hmm. to run very smoothly Um, personally things that I can't live without I do have a kind of ritual actually with that like I have to have a tidy. <laughs> I have to have a tidy desk oh I, I get start. that I get that totally get um, that <laughs> and like and really everything needs to be at right angles it bothers me if I go to bed and I haven't kind of arranged the place that I work oh. um <laughs> interesting yeah, and then I also we we both of us swear by to do lists. So we're, mm-hmm. um, you know, like an endless. I think you just need to get everything out of your head. Mm. Um, but apart from that, apps we just use this kind of standard stuff really yeah. that everyone would use, like the Facebook Manager type things. And obviously, yeah, yeah. we've talked about Slack, but we haven't got around to. Using yeah, it yet. I've never really got my. I mean, I get the concept, but I've never really. A few of my clients use it for my virtual mm. assistant business, but I've never really fully gotten my head around the whole concept. That might yeah. sound really foreign, though really silly to people that you like rely on it every <laughs> single day. But yeah. Yeah. I think I like it in theory. Like mm. I like that idea of kind of dedicated channels so that your inbox doesn't get just a horrible mess of mm. emails. But um, but yeah, we haven't switched it. So maybe we'll we'll look at that in the next few months. Yeah, definitely. How much were your contacts that you had made through your days at Marie Claire useful to you when you started? I've spoken with other guests on the podcast about, you know, how they found information or when they went, okay, I want to start this, um, you know, where do I go for a website or where do I go for a logo or how do I know who to use this for? Were contacts that you had built during that time useful to you or were you really starting from scratch in a way? No, I think we um we had a really good network of contacts, so we're really lucky 
um, to have that. So in across all elements of the business, we were able to call on people that we'd worked with previously or we'd come mm. across um, mm. and um, and kind of they would help us or we'd be able to um, to work with them on specific projects. So, yeah, that was really useful. I mean, it's basically Primer is in many ways what we've been doing our entire careers. But rather than doing it for someone else, we're doing it for ourselves and shaping it ourselves. So, mm. yeah, we were lucky we were able to do that. But it's still difficult. I mean, it's still you know, when you're coming to for things like designing a website and mm. you still have to do quite a lot of research and um, and budgeting and thinking about what you actually want. And, you know, so I think that's probably the same process that anyone would go through. Um, but, yeah, we did have good, good contacts. That yeah. was good. How beneficial is that? Yeah. Because it's, yeah. it can be so daunting. I know I've got people that I've spoken to that when I've got quotes for a website, someone's quoted me $4,000, someone's quoted me $14,000, and I don't understand, you know, why one is so much drastically lower or higher than the other. Mm. But having those people that you can, you know, already have a little bit of trust in and, and trust their advice, I guess, is a yeah, great Yeah, it helps. And I think you also point. need yeah. to be, you need to look around at, you know, um, the other work that people have done so mm. look at their portfolio see what they see who their clients have been see what they've produced contact um those clients see whether they were mm. happy um you know you just do your kind of do due diligence research in the way that you would when you were commissioning anyone to do any work for you so i think you just yeah. need to and be quite clear about what you want like what what do you want a website to look like what do you want it to accomplish how do you mm. want people to interact with it mm. how, how do you want them to feel when they're kind of moving around open the, the window when they're moving around it yeah all of yeah. those kind of experiential things you should, you should think about we talked a little bit about um before about some of those stories and obviously a lot of them have your name against them have um there been projects that you've worked on for primer in terms of stories or pieces of content that are real highlights or real standouts for you that um you know a real sort of milestone projects or highlight projects i've so far i've worked on lots of stories that i've really liked mm. i felt i'm always pleased to work on a story that i feel is um is kind of really relevant to people and might help so even the story that i did last week on um the use of surveillance technology by abusive men it's not a cheery topic um, but uh, but it was about how um, more and more women are coming to um, family violence services and they're worried that their phone has been um, compromised and that their ex-partner is tracking their movements on their phone um, or putting a GPS tracker in their car. And you kind of think, is this, is this for real? Like, mm. are people actually doing this? But they are on an enormous scale. And the company that I spoke to in Melbourne who conducts kind of surveillance sweeps of people's houses and women's houses and, and cars, um, they're inundated with work. And then I spoke to Telstra, and they have a project where they give, it's called Safe Connections, and they give mobile phones to women who, um, who believe that their partner is tracking them using their phone. Um, and... They started out five years ago giving away about 50 phones a month and now, um, was it less than that? And now they're up to kind of 60 or 600, I think, something like that. And they've given away wow. 20,000 phones since the start of the project. So it's that I felt was a really um, interesting story and really eye-opening for me as to how easily the technology that we use, all of us, in our everyday lives can be compromised. So I really liked that kind of story. But then I also really liked the kind of fun fashion pieces. 
Um, and, you know, where you're writing about the latest trend or, um, you know, the we did we did a great piece on ferulic uh, acid, ferulic C, I think it's called, um, which is a beauty product that our beauty editor was telling us about. And she loves it so much that she and the other beauty editors had a WhatsApp group for it where they kind of discussed it and, um, and you know, the application and how they used it and they were swapping tips. And we were like, that's fascinating. <laughs> so yeah. we, did a, we did a story on that. So, yeah, there's um, there's the kind of harder, what well, harder kind of news stories that I like doing, but I also really like the fun stuff. And I think that's true of everyone, isn't it? That you, you know, you enjoy reading something that's kind of challenging and informative and interesting, but also you really love reading about fashion and beauty and we get a lot of joy from that and so I think that's kind of the balance that we wanted to bring to Primer to Mm. just say yeah it's fine to we all know it's fine it's fine to be interested in fashion you can have a brain and still be interested in fashion (laughs) they're not mutually exclusive yeah yeah. I agree I think um I think it's nice to be able to have that kind of light and shade because there is you know when you look around and consume content whether it's part of your job or you just as a general citizen and this is you know one of the primary reasons why the podcast started is there's a lot of negative stuff out there Mm. and there's a lot of dark stories and and humans doing really awful things to other human and I think that's why you know things like you know beauty and fashion um articles or podcasts or um you know celebrity gossip or those sorts of things work so well because it's like people need a little bit of that brain numbing kind of just switch off content to Mm. have a break from some of that more heavy content yeah, and I think you can't shut your idea, your ears to what's or your eyes to what's going on in the world. Sure. And one of the things with the world that we live in now is that um, it's in terms of information, it's much smaller. Like you can, you know, what's going on in Syria, you know, what's going on mm. with um, Trump in the US, and yeah. you know, it's and and it kind of can feel quite overwhelming, um, but. It's kind of still important for us to know about those things. Yeah, I'm not saying that we would necessarily. Balance, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's about a balance. And yeah. also, I think with fashion and beauty, you make an interesting point um, that you you do need kind of that content that enables you to to just switch off and and, and dial down a little bit. But we also treat fashion and beauty as if it's kind of like a, a serious and worthwhile subject. We mm. give it the same weight in the. Uh, website and on the in the um, newsletter as we do to our more serious content because you know it is sometimes there's a tendency to kind of downplay fashion and to describe it as being you, you haven't done that but I've heard it said that it's mm. kind of frivolous and, yeah. and something that's not really that important but it hugely is like what we wear signals so much about our personalities it's mm. a way of expressing yourself mm. it's also like multi-billion dollar business um mm. you know it contributes so much to the economy um same with beauty and you know it's um it's an important factor for women personally about how they feel about themselves and how they choose to express themselves but it's also economically i think an important part of the system so yeah. and you know it's not it's it's not a kind of frivolous silly thing it's an important thing um, yeah. and so that's why we kind of do we talk about it in a fun way but um but we acknowledge it as being something that's kind of worthwhile yeah absolutely um 
downtime wise, what do you do to chill out after those hectic days or when, you know, there's <laughs> deadlines apart from <laughs> not doing your washing, which, which you mentioned before we got on the, I said, please don't before we started, <laughs> we can cut that out. <laughs> what no, what ways am- do you sort of switch off and um, sort of take care of your, yourself, care especially of when you're gearing up for some of those stories that are a bit darker and they are a bit heavier and especially because of the charities that you choose to support. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, oh, how do I t- turn off? I think it's important for me to say that um, that while I do these stories and they are really effective, uh, affecting, it's not it's not the same. Like I have great admiration for, um, for the people that we talk to, like the social workers mm. and people who are involved in the charities um, and not-for-profits. Yeah. yeah, like I really admire them. They do an amazing job. Mm. Um, so they're just kind of doing it every day. I'm not, um, although I still get really, I do get affected by by stories mm. um downtime wise <laughs> I mean I do things like I go I'm doing some personal training mm-hmm. I've signed up for a um a fun run because I haven't done much running. I used to really like running and I haven't done much running since the kids so um I've signed up with a friend for something at the start of December cool. so I'm doing a bit of exercise that's good yeah um and you know I've just started I'm starting on Sunday some piano lessons oh wow because because I just, I don't know if you feel like this, but sometimes I feel like I want to do something that's just for me and it's not, um, you know, it's not for other people and, or for the family, much as I love them. Yeah. I don't have kids, but I have yeah. all my brothers and sisters do. And I've definitely had similar conversations, yeah. um, especially with my, my older sister, um, uh, sisters and also my mom around having things that are just for them especially when they've got mm. young families as well yeah and so it'll that'll just take me out of the house for uh, a huge half an hour a week mm. um and uh and I actually really like it I found I used to find playing the piano quite relaxing mm. um and and it's kind of it's like anything that you do that just enables you to get into that state of flow where you're yeah. not really thinking about anything else and I've got some friends who you know draw to do that or mm. I don't know write or there's lots of different ways that you can do it but for me yeah, I'm going to um, just play the piano badly. I love that. And quite loudly, probably. <laughs> Good therapy, the just bang on the keys. In our terrace. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sorry to the neighbours. Oh, no, no. Yeah, the neighbours will be really pleased because we live in a terrace. So <laughs> they're going to love it. <laughs> what about um, podcasts? Are you a podcast listener? What if you? And if you are, what are some of your go-tos? Mm. So we did a story about this in Primer quite recently about mm. how I was really quite slow on the uptake with um, with podcasts. Yeah, right. Um, so I still only really listen. My favourite one is uh, Women's Hour on Radio Four, and I feel like I should be slightly ashamed about saying that because it's really <laughs> not cool. But I really like it, um, so I I'll it. listen to I listen to that, and um, yeah, just I dip in and out of things that my friends mm-hmm. recommend. So um, one of the women that we work with is really into it. So she'll often send me text messages saying, you should listen to this. And I find anything that's an interview with, I really like, as you are doing with the Bold platform, I really like interviews with women who are just kind of getting out and doing stuff. And I'm quite interested in in how they do it Mm. as well um, and how they manage the juggle because everyone, regardless of their situation, has a juggle um, Mm. and pressures on them. And so... I find it quite useful to listen to other women talking about that. So 
yeah, anything that's um that's kind of inspiring and, and positive, I'll go for. Well, you've you've skipped through the listening part of podcasts and just been a guest on one. So you've just gone straight, <laughs> gone straight to the head of the line. You can say <laughs> you're, that's your your friends listen now. To me. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, oh, great! Another platform for Felicity to tell us her views. <laughs> in audio form this time we don't yeah. have to imagine her voice when we're reading exactly. the articles oh, I love that <laughs> Felicity if there's somebody that's listening and thinks they'd really like to start something especially in that sort of social enterprise um, space or in terms of a um, in the content space are there any pieces of advice that you've been given or things that you've learned along the way that you would then tell somebody else that maybe came to you to say hey I've got this idea what do you think? It's difficult because I feel like we've made a lot of good decisions, but then we've also made a lot of mistakes along the way and we are still kind of at the start of our journey. Um, I think I'd say to someone to plan as much as you can before you start um, and to really investigate the area um, that you're entering into and your positioning to make mm. sure that you are um, fulfilling a need or fulfilling a gap in the market. Um, so lots of research um, and to, yeah, to kind of plan financially as well and make mm-hmm. sure that you build in a contingency fund, um, which we did um, and I'm very grateful for. <laughs> but, um, but I think with anything, you know, there's lots of costs that crop up that you don't expect. Um, mm. And so, yeah, just be quite realistic about how how much things are going to cost and to make sure that you've got enough to to cover it. But also I think there's an element of just doing stuff sometimes mm-hmm. and you don't have to start, you know, with bells and whistles and, and making a big fuss. You could just kind of try it, test the waters, see how things go um, and, and just give things a bash because if you don't try something, you'll never know. Um, and you might always think, oh, I wish I'd done that. And as much as you can, I think you want to avoid that feeling in your life that you should just just kind of try it. And I think if, you know, like we've, I've spoken with the guests on the podcast before, it's like if all of us waited till the product or the service or the piece of content or whatever was absolutely perfect, we'd never put anything out there into the market. You'd never do Mm -hmm. it. And the more time, I think sometimes the more people you ask, then it's like the more opinion and the more feedback and advice you get, then you just kind of go, oh, I don't even know where to start implementing this. It has to get to a point where you go, whether it's your gut, your head, your heart, whatever it is, you kind of trust what's there and and put it out there. Yeah, I think you do. And you have to kind of trust your instincts um, a bit. And if you feel that there's a product or a service that's missing and that you could do really well, then you just kind of have to have to give it a go. Mm. And I think there's no shame in, in trying. I think that most people accept that as a small business, your chances of um, succeeding are kind of relatively slim lots of small businesses go bust and lots of really successful entrepreneurs have a story about how they've tried three or four different businesses and it hasn't worked and Mm. you know and they've had to just kind of step away shake themselves down and and carry on and I think Mm. I have a lot of admiration for people who just try who just kind of set out and and do it and see what happens like I think it takes a lot of guts and I I really admire people who who do it and and I would like to be one of those people, which is why we started. I think you are already. (laughs) I think you are. (laughs) If people want to find out more about Prima Felicity, where's the best place for them to find out more about your story and and the work that you're doing? 
So you can go to our website, which mm -hmm. is primer.com.au. It's P-R-I-M-E-R. -E mm -hmm. um, or you can find us on socials, on Instagram and Facebook, and Twitter at primer underscore AU. Amazing. So that website um, that Felicity mentioned there is primer.com.au and there really are some beautiful um, stories and also the fashion and beauty um, section plus some more information there around the social change component and the work that um, the girls from Primer are doing in that space. So please jump onto that website and check all that detail out. Felicity, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm really grateful that you've made um, the time today to to chat with me and to share a bit more about your story. I'm really excited to see where um, where Primer goes in the next eight months and the eight months after that. So thank you so much for coming on the Bold Platform. Um, thank you to everyone who's joined us today to listen. If you think there's someone in your world that might find Felicity's story and the Primer story interesting, feel free to share this episode. And when you're in there, feel free to leave a little review or a rating because that's what helps um, on Spotify and iTunes and the various podcast apps. That's what helps um, build up our following and get stories like the Primer story out there to more and more people who might be sitting on a really beautiful idea and just need that little bit of a sign or a little bit of encouragement by hearing someone else's story to to get out there and do it so thank you for listening to oh, another episode oh, sorry i'm just interrupting you oh, no, go for it. thank <laughs> you thank you for having me <laughs> oh no absolutely so thank you so much um for listening to another episode of the bold platform and felicity thank you so much for coming onto the podcast Oh, thank you for having me. It's been really fun.